0: Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, 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 and welcome to the DJE Podcast. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Drive time, workout time, hanging out time, whatever it is you're doing. Appreciate you joining us and checking in. Got a great guest today. His name's Brett Bowman. He's the CIO, the Chief Investment Officer of Suncrest Capital. They've done a lot of stuff, um, a lot of different asset classes. We talk a lot on this episode about mobile home parks and some of the investing that they do there. So how they find the deals, how they structure the deals, why they like that asset class, uh, how they've built their company, what their team looks like. A lot of parallels there between what Brett and his company have done and what you typically see in multi in the multifamily world from an investor deal structure, return profile, that kind of thing. But definitely some differences with the mobile home park space. So I enjoyed getting in there learning about that and hearing about Brett's process. Uh, He worked for Apple for a number of years and then went out, struck out on his own as an entrepreneur to go do these deals. So lots of nuggets in there to glean from whether you're a passive investor or whether you're an operator or an aspiring operator. I think you're gonna enjoy this conversation with Brett. A couple of notes quickly before we jump in. If you're not seeing DJE deals, our company's deals, and you'd like to, you can sign up to get on our list and meet us at djetexas.com. That link is also in the show notes below. You can click straight through. And if you're an aspiring operator or you want to grow your multifamily investment business, go buy big deals and run them as an investment. We created apartmenteducators.com as a full community to do that. So we've got coaching, Uh, education curriculum, network, vendors to plug in, multiple cities, events all over the country that we're doing. So you can plug into all that through apartmenteducators.com. We've got a nice eight-part video series, uh, free content to plug into at apartmenteducators.com. All right, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Mr. Brett Bowman. Brett, welcome. It's nice to see you. How are you, sir?
1: Thanks, Devin. Good to be here. Doing great. Thanks
0: outstanding outstanding well I want to get in and talk about real estate I want to talk about how you build your business different asset classes you guys are in and all of that shop talk before we get in there how about for the audience here that maybe isn't connected with you let's uh uh hear kind of your story you know your background and I'm always interested to to understand what was the pivot point or epiphany that got you on the on the real estate track
1: yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I, you know, grew up in a family with nine kids. Um, my, my parents both worked. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, when I was in probably eighth grade, had a, a history teacher that just really was passionate about teaching, just one of those amazing teachers that kind of like you remember the rest of your life. And he used to draw on our walls. He would just like draw right on the sheetrock. And we're, as kids, you know, you're like, wow, this is a rebellious teacher. He's just kind of like doing his thing. But it stuck with me a lot of his lessons. And he actually talks about things like time value of money and stock market and all those kinds of things just like fascinated me. Uh, so growing up, you know, I, I kind of dabbled in a few different um, career paths, but ultimately settled on finance. So my undergrads in finance, and then I did an MBA with finance focus. And so I've done corporate finance. So I've always really enjoyed that. Um, after doing you know, 401k, IRA, all those kinds of things in my early 20s, I just really started quickly realizing this isn't growing like I thought it would. So stumbled upon Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I don't think anybody else has ever read that book yeah, um, you really know, and started just learning about leverage and real estate and why, why there's so many benefits of it between like the taxation and just how you can take your, your money further, all those kinds of things, right? So I started doing the typical single family rentals and then getting into the duplexes. And I think you asked about Epiphany. That's kind of when I started realizing, holy cow, this is gonna take me forever to build up this, this, this like net worth that I wanna be getting to with single family homes. And it's just not scaling like I thought I would. And uh, luckily kind of stumbled upon syndications as a limited partner and jumped into a few different deals with various part, with various uh, general partners, just to kind of get my feet wet, understand how it was going. So I was passive at that time, but um, was fascinated by that, uh, the, the various asset classes and just kind of the structure of a syndication. So I stepped up to a couple of those GPs and offered, hey, I've got a lot of financial modeling experience. I, I can do some forecasting for you. Let me just jump in and start helping you with that. And uh, a couple of them took me up on it. and so. I didn't get compensated for that for the first bit. You know, after a little while, I started getting some, you know, moderate GP shares. But the learning was just, you couldn't replace it. I, like, so, I was the, the, essentially the head of acquisitions for a couple of those groups where I was doing everything from the underwriting to the legal SEC filings to investor relations, just all of that acquisition stuff. So I did that across industrial, multifamily, and, and some mobile home parks. And about that time, I bumped into um, a guy named Ryan Hill, who's now my business partner, and he already was operating mobile home parks. So I started realizing the unique benefits of mobile home parks over other asset classes. And we bought a small park, just the two of us. And then since then, we've been syndicating multiple deals. So we just closed on a large portfolio in Springfield, Missouri, which is one of our, our top markets where we're at. Um, so now I think we're around 1,300 units um, with that, with another 100 closing by the end of the year. So we're uh, we're growing and really happy about that asset class. Um, we're also in RV parks and we have a little bit of retail as well.
0: Outstanding, really broad portfolio. I love I love to hear it, and it, personally, just very curious about that. We're in a lot of multifamily, some land, and some industrial, but haven't touched the the mobile home park space, and we may never. But just for the audience. Um, what what are some of those benefits that you guys see as maybe a larger asset class that can you know lends itself well to being syndicated? This audience might be very familiar with multi, being an LP in a multifamily deal, for example. Sure. You know, do you guys structure the, the mobile home park stuff the same? And what are the benefits of that asset class, kind of at a high level?
1: Yeah, so there's a, there's a few different benefits. So I'll talk about benefits and then also talk about kind of structure, like you're asking, but. Um, one of the main benefits right now, you know, there's been a ton of consolidation in the mobile home park space, but I think there's still a fair amount of consolidation to go, meaning you still have a lot of people that are just ma and pa kind of owners that you can go to. So the the we we close on a project in August, about to close in another one here in a month that are we're both off market. So the off market deal we're closing on in a month, we're buying at eight thousand a unit, which is insane. You can't like to go develop them. You're looking at least twenty to twenty five thousand. Per wow, unit, wow. if you want to develop so before you of, even get a home there. Yeah, yeah. A
0: third of replacement cost, right?
1: Exactly. It's just that's crazy. so cheap. And that's because we're buying from an owner that's owned it for 20 plus years. So he's still making really great money for himself, but we're getting in on a great cost basis. So that's awesome. So being able to come in and get some off market deals uh, is helpful. The flip side of that is many of them have very poor financials. I know this happens in multifamily as well, especially some sure. of the smaller apartment complexes, but you come in and they just, their, their uh, bookkeeping is a, is just commingled or you can't get clean books and all, all that gets really crazy when you're trying to finance it so that can be challenging sometimes you get traditional financing for some of these, but you know sometimes that's a good thing for you because you can get creative financing with seller financing and things like that so, so that's kind of the one of the main benefits coming in but the other one that I love to talk about is you know and I've heard you talk about this a bit on your podcast too is multifamily one of the big plays is you come in you buy hundred unit apartment complex, that's maybe 95% occupied. So 95 of the units are, are occupied. And you start to upgrade those units, rehab them, get, get a little bit of turnover so that you're coming up to market rents, right? With a mobile home park, you can do that because you're doing the infrastructure, maybe you're doing nicer roads, nicer landscaping, some amenities, and the tenants still stay there the whole time. But the other thing that's cool is if you buy a 100 unit mobile home park, maybe 20 of those pads are vacant so there's not actually homes there and so you're considered 100 percent economically occupied because there's 80 homes 80 of them are occupied but you still have 20 pads that are physically empty so you can add 20 more of those pads and increase your physical occupancy so it's a bit like if you took a four-story apartment complex and add, added two more stores without having to vacate any of those tenants right um, and for cool. the
0: bank's purposes they're saying they're saying uh that you're 100% economic occupancy in that situation. Yeah.
1: yeah, so you're 100% economic occupancy. You still have that physical occupancy. That some sometimes the banks will, you know, like for a Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loan, you might get into some some hair there if you've got too much physical vacancy. But most of your regional banks will be totally okay with the with the economic uh, occupancy.
0: Is it because your your cost on those vacant units is essentially zero?
1: That's right. Yeah, you exactly. Know.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yep. I, I wish apartments work like that. I, I know, know, right? <laughs> um, that, that's great. So, how about the the structure on these type of projects? How do you guys put it together? For and I'm making the assumption that you're that you're syndicating these. Yeah. Uh, how are. do you structure them? And has that evolved over time as you guys have have grown?
1: Yeah. So the, the main thing, at least for us, that's a little different is uh, we're typically not syndicating one mobile home park. We're generally okay. finding a pocket of maybe four or five and syndicating right. it as a, a kind of a small portfolio. Um, and that's just because of the size. Uh, generally, you're not finding a, a large enough single mobile home park that makes sense to do by itself. So, for example, our first syndication that we, we ran on our own was four mobile home parks in the Des Moines area. Um, and then we added a fifth to that same portfolio just because it was small. We could take it down with the same equity we had. So that same investor group, we, we have five together. And then our second one was in Springfield, Missouri. And that was actually we had three different sellers, four different parks that we syndicated together. And that, you know, your horizon, is not as clean as just selling or I'm sorry, closing on the same day. You've got some different closing dates, but you just raise the equity as you need it um, going through that. And so then our new structure, what we're starting to do, especially with our off market deals, is we've started doing what we're we're calling an open-ended fund, where rather than kind of a blind fund where you pre-raise 10 million, obviously you're familiar with the difference here, but blind fund, you raise 10 million and then you go out and buy things. For us, we're just raising just enough to get the next project. Um, And so we'll, we do mark to uh, mark to market where the share price goes up a little bit based on the equity or the net asset value. So first investors are paying one price and then somebody a year later is paying a little bit more, but they're also buying in with all of our existing assets in that fund. So that's pretty new. We're just buying our second asset with that. But when you're buying a mobile home park at only $800,000, it doesn't make sense to syndicate it on its own. So that's helping us out with that economy, the economies of scale and, you know, see if a ton of costs for us, as you know, know, syndications are pretty expensive to start. So that's helped us out.
0: Yeah, that seems to really, really streamline things. So well, I appreciate you sharing that structure. And do you do a, uh, um, you know, multi-tiered waterfall model? Is, it a, is there a pref? Is there a, a, you know, one split? How do you guys structure all that?
1: Yeah, so each project we've done it a little differently, which, you know, I prefer to keep it the same so people know what to predict, but we've done typically an 8% preferred return. And then we generally have a tier at about 70, 30. Uh, so anything above 8 a pref is a 70, 30 until we achieve about a 20% IRR and then it goes 50, 50. Right. So After 20, I don't think that's, yeah, that's too pretty, different. Pretty high hurdle. Yeah. 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 I know that there's some like multifamily, you might see a little bit more, a few more hurdles in there uh, that sure. tear up, but that's, that's been our structure so far.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, it's simpler, you know, sim- simple is easier to explain to everybody easier to get everybody on board with um, that. That totally makes sense. Eight prefs, really nice. A 20, IRR hurdles really, really nice too. I mean, I think LPs ought to be pretty happy with, you know, 70% up to 20 and 50 after that. That's a pretty nice structure. Yeah. Um, So how does the debt work on these, on these mobile home parks? You, You mentioned the agency stuff and you know, you're, you're, your structure sounds very, very similar to kind of your standard uh, run-of-the-mill multifamily deal, but um, loan-wise, you know, what kind of leverage are you getting? What kind of terms? Is it fixed or floating? Does it, does it look like loans you're getting on other asset types, or is, is there anything wildly different about this space?
1: Yeah, so I, I'll have to t- I'll touch on the agency thing in a second because we learned a lot about agency with our, our most recent closing. But um, in general, I think the financing terms are pretty similar across the board. So uh, we're generally getting about 70, sometimes 80% loan to cost, um, but typically 70%. Um, our interest rates so far are all fixed, uh, which obviously we're super grateful for in retrospect, because we had Especially a few looking at with floating and yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Looking back, we're just very grateful. All of them are at least five to seven year terms. Um, and typically amortizations are 20 20- 25 to thirty. Uh, we do have some small stuff that's only a twenty-year amortization, but it's a fifteen-year term. So because you, you know, we have small enough parks that the only people that will look at it from a lending perspective is a local right. bank. Right. Um, yep. And so the play there is to buy enough of them over time that you can refi a group of them uh, with better financing. Uh, so that'll take us some time to build that up, but. Um, But the main differences we found have been with agency. So what I found interesting this last go around, we bought a portfolio of 465 units. It was 94% occupied, physically occupied, actually, 94% physically occupied. Um, And so from a lot of the parameters, it was agency qualified. But the couple of things that I didn't know that are interesting is one, the roads in the parks have to be paved. Mm. Two, they don't want any hitches. So your mobile homes that are older, newer ones the hitch will just come like go underneath the home but older ones are you actually have to saw them off and so they so want
0: that's an agency requirement pave roads and no hitches yep yeah interesting so okay. they don't want
1: any hitches and then the third one that was new for us is they also want off-street parking to be paved so for right. every one of your homes they want a paved pad for them and uh, that was actually the killer for us on agency with this portfolio, because about 40% of the pads had paved parking, but the, other, the remaining 60% didn't. And uh, they weren't willing to, you know, I think in previous years, they were willing to escrow that and let you do it in the first three months. But with the debt markets changing this year, they were, they were more strict on that. So, um, so we'll do that with our refinance plan. We'll be in the agency after we make those improvements. But truthfully, we actually ended up getting great debt on this. We, we used, a, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're kind of considered, they seem to be more like a regional bank, but they're nationwide. It's called Five Star Bank. And uh, Five Star just really loves mobile home parks. And they ended up doing 70% loan to cost. We got fixed rate of about 5.5 in August. So, you know, that, you can't get that anymore. But even in August, that was really competitive rate. Sure. So, and a 10-year term. So, we're pretty, pretty happy all around with that.
0: Love it. Are you guys getting non-recourse when you're going agency and recourse when you're going bank? Is that kind of how it shakes out? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So we're we're still full
1: recourse with most of our stuff right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, If you believe in the pro, you know, I tell people ask, you know, should I get a non-recourse debt, especially now when maybe bank in this environment, Q4 2022, maybe your bank loans look a little more attractive versus some of your lending options that we saw over the past couple of years. And, you know, if, my thought is if you're the operator, you believe in the project and you're well capitalized, recourse, not that big a deal. You know, if you're not the operator, you're a co-GP or something and somebody else is running the deal and it's thin to start with. Um, I think you can get definitely get into some trouble with that recourse debt. But
1: yeah, I agree. Um, there's
0: you know different, different uh, tools for the job. So you guys are in multiple asset classes, multiple markets. Um, what is the what does the team look like? Uh, today and ha- you know this, this takes an army to kind of make this happen. What what does that Absolutely. look like for your firm?
1: Yeah, no, it totally does. And honestly, a lot of the stuff we're buying is uh, value add, so that takes even more sure. work to do that versus just to stabilize. So we, I started when I first got into LP investing. I my projects were in Kansas City, and then as a junior GP, they were still in that Kansas City area. So over time, I built a team in Kansas City, and then serendipitously, Ryan, who I started partnering with, his first but home park was in Kansas city too. So, we, mm. you know, that just worked out really well that we both had teams there. We had contractors we trusted and our first employee was somebody that actually was a, a property manager. It was just kind of 1099 at the time, but we ended up promoting her into being our regional manager. So we now have two people in uh, Kansas city that are full-time with us. And then we kind of drew a three hour radius around Kansas city. So even though we're in a few markets, they're all within that Kansas city radius. Uh, because that's where our team is. So we, we now have somebody, an employee up in Des Moines, because uh, that's some of our parks. And then we have two people down in Springfield plus our onsite managers. And then we're based in Boise where uh, we're, the two of us are here, we've got a couple employees here that are kind of more like our finance analysts, marketing relations, uh, our investor relations, things like that. So we're at five full-time W2 employees and then a handful of full-time 1099 contractors. And then obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, the common model in mobile home parks is you'll have one person that lives in the mobile home park that's kind of a greeter for you and their compensation is generally free lot rent so they're not paying rent plus they get about ten dollars a month per occupied home and their their responsibilities are much different than maybe an apartment property manager they're they're pretty much there to uh, enforce rules help with evictions if you've got it uh, help with collections if you need it things like that, but they're not really like out in front of people all the time. Like you might see in, a prop, in an apartment complex and then you'll have a regional manager that maybe does more of that, or you can centralize a lot of your operations, which is what we've done.
0: Right. Yeah. Because that on-site person, it's not like they're doing maintenance calls. It's not like they're doing a lot of that stuff. That's higher up the, I guess, complexity stack. If I rent in one of your communities, that's my house, right? Right. Light goes out door gets stuck. That's on me. I mean, there's really exactly. no maintenance, right? percent. Um, yeah. The you... only
1: time you're calling us is if there's like some kind of sewer problem or water right. problem and it's in the infrastructure. So like under your home, right. um, you'll call, you'll call our property manager and then they'll coordinate that. But that's, that's pretty rare to your point. Most of it's in the home that and they're, they're responsible for that.
0: Right, right. So what, is the, what does the lease look like? Is it a 12-month lease? Is it a, a longer term? Are there escalations built in? How do you guys structure that?
1: We generally do month-to-month leases. So nice. we'll have them sign rules, park rules and regulations and all those kinds of things. And then we, we like month-to-month because in a mobile home park, they're generally not moving out anyway. Uh, We actually, this last year, Devin, set up our own moving company so we can move homes. We've got a whole crew. We've got the truck, all that kind of stuff, right? And even for us to move a home, our base cost is a few thousand dollars to move a home. Right. That's like no cost. Yes, that's at cost. And so for someone to like want to move their home down the street they've got to really want to do it because they're paying at least five to eight thousand dollars even to just go down the street for their home. Right. So right. that that's why, you know, I, we believe that if we treat our residents fairly with respect and, you know, we're we're not aggressive with rents or other increases, we don't need to worry about anybody leaving, which so we prefer the month to month because it gives us the flexibility of right. evicting people. So, right. you know, another thing that might be unique to mobile home parks that, curious to hear your thoughts on this, but our last several acquisitions, we've gone in and day one had to evict sex offenders. Um, wow. Because just frequently we're buying from people that don't do background checks. And so they've right. got sex offenders in their parks and, you know, we don't want that. But if they were in an annual lease, we'd have a really hard time evicting.
0: No people. doubt, yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah, that's such a high barrier <laughs> to, to move. I mean, you move out of an apartment, maybe you lose your deposit or whatever, 800 right. bucks, Um, five, $8,000, especially for this demographic, completely different uh, level of friction, right? 100%. For, for that. Have you guys, you know, I've heard about, you know, some of the municipalities frowning upon new parks coming in. Are you guys ever looking at new development or is this all, ex, you know, buying existing assets?
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, a lot of municipalities aren't supportive of new development. Um, in fact, uh, another benefit of mobile home parks that I mentioned, uh, meant to mention before is there's really not a whole lot of bark more coming. In fact, every year, I forget the statistic, but several hundred of them are redeveloped into something else. So right. it's almost like an endangered species in the sense that you're you're, right. there's a finite number of them and they're, they're not really increasing. I do know that there are some that go, that get developed that are new but the net loss is higher than that. Um, I will just say, you know, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but developing them is so expensive that in general that doesn't make sense. Um, we, right. just to give you kind of an example, we just bought a park that has about 80 pads in it and has another 20 acres. And from a zoning perspective, you can typically fit about eight homes per acre um, and still have some pretty good distance. Honestly, that's actually the 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 most dense you'll see some single family homes even. So. If you've got a right. mobile home at density, that's a lot of space in between lots, so it's pretty great. But you're paying twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars per lot to develop that. And when we ran our, our numbers, we, you know, returns looked the same whether we did the development or not. So we decided it wasn't really worth the extra risk of having mm-hmm. to do that development. Um, and that was already owning what the land. What does
0: that development cost entail? It's a concrete pad. It's utilities. That, that sounds like a lot on on dirt that you already own, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's, it, like you said, it's the concrete. So you're doing roads, you're doing curbing because all the municipalities now, they require to have like fire hydrants, new oh, water. Wow. Okay, I, okay. All these yeah, that, that's where, a, sure. Your older stuff doesn't have to have that because it's grandfathered in. So by by the time you're doing just like, the, just the water, we got a quote for water was $600,000 for about an 80 pad park um, because the water requirements were so high between fire hydrants and curbing and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So it, it adds up pretty
0: fast. Yeah, well, that makes sense if you're having to do you're having to do that level. Um, interesting. So, how are you guys? Uh, you, you know, you mentioned kind of the fund structure and the portfolio approach. You know, putting a, a group of these together because they're on the smaller side. How are you? How, how are you guys? Uh, working with your investor base? Is it, you know, start with friends and family and then, and then referrals? Are you going after any institutional or family office? What's kind of the, the thesis there on investor capital?
1: Yeah, so we definitely started with friends and family. Um, our first raise was about 3.2 million.
0: Nice. And
1: uh, we got, uh, we, frankly, we got lucky with that raise because the, we were buying from a group of uh, owners and two of the three owners wanted to reinvest. And so the two of them alone reinvested 500000 and then they brought about a million dollars of their own friends with them. And this was so, the seller. Yeah, this was the sellers reinvesting yeah, in their own deal. So essentially what yeah. has happened is that like, the two of them were kind of junior partners, and the, the main partner, they weren't getting along. So the two still wanted to right. keep the park, but the other one wanted out of it. So that was kind of the way they, they reinvested as, as LPs into our project. And each of them, every deal we've had since has reinvested with us. So they've kind of stayed stayed with us, and they've continued referring friends. So that's helped us a ton from a like fueling so far. Um, really, over the last six to eight months, is the first time we've really started to see referrals from investors that have come like really started to compound. Um, and then this last raise, we had three funds invest with us. So I don't know that I would consider them institutions, but you know, one of them raised two or invested two point five with us. Another invested one million, and another was a family office doing five hundred and really everything else is retail investors that are doing, you know, on average a hundred thousand.
0: Yeah. So really good diversified mix of capital there. Yeah, Um, It's always tough taking a bigger check and, you know, hoping you don't get to the one yard line and terms change or whatever the case is. So, but it sounds like you guys have a really nice mix of, of, uh, of investment capital there, which is, which is good. Well, we're talking end of 2022 here, you know, we've seen some interesting stuff happen (laughs) obviously with the fed and, CPI prints and, and everything like that um, what what are you guys working on for next year Is it more of the same are you in a holding pattern uh, new markets same markets what what what's kind of on the horizon for your firm
1: we're we're mostly in a holding pattern right now um, we've, we've got a whole team of people that do cold calling so they'll call and this is how we find nice. off market deals we've got we're just calling like people we can see have owned the park for 20 years we're trying to target them. Um, so we've had a couple off market deals that way that we're still working to close, but pretty much everything else, you know, we're underwriting it aggressively or not aggressively conservatively with like 7% interest rates, 77% right. at refi, all those kinds of things. And just our offers are too low, you know, which I'm not, I'm not hurting over. I'm totally fine sticking where we're at. So we're still offering, but we're being right. very conservative with the way we're underwriting um, that said, we would love to expand into some new markets. So we're really in those like Springfield, Missouri, Kansas city and Des Moines are kind of our core. Uh, we're excited about uh, Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Oklahoma city. Uh, we want to get up to Ar- uh, Wisconsin, Arkansas. So we definitely want to expand our reach, um, but those deals, you know, we've kind of been spoiled with the core team in Kansas city. So we're gonna have to build a whole new team if we, if we go to one of these new markets, so. More or less, though, Devin, I'd say we're in a holding pattern, kind of waiting to see. Like I've heard some of your recent guests talking about how sellers are still looking at prices from a year ago, and they still think they should get that price, and it's just not doable anymore with our cost of capital.
0: 100%. Big disconnect right now, and if a seller doesn't need to sell, they're probably not going to right now. I mean, I think we're going to probably see some scenarios with loan maturities as time drags on and rates stay high that uh, owners need to sell. And, you know, they may want to kind of quietly execute that transaction and and leave with their tail between their legs because the valuations yeah. are just not what they were yesterday, but hopefully that creates some opportunities, you know, um, we'll see, but big, big disconnect, same thing for us. And really everybody out there, you're, you're submitting the best offer you can and you're pretty far off the mark. And, and, uh, we've just got that disc, that gap right now, but, uh, you know, that's what creates opportunity too. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, keep, keep moving forward with it. Um, well, this is great, Brett. I really appreciate a look into this business and some of the different asset classes that you guys are doing and how you're growing the company. If someone listening wants to connect with you and, and your firm, how do they do that?
1: Sure. Yeah. So our firm name is Suncrest Capital and our website is suncrestcap, short for capital.com. Uh, so suncrestcap.com. Uh, you can find me and schedule time with me there. My, my Calendly link is on there. My email's on there, but my email address just for your listeners is brett. So B-R-E-T-T at suncrestcap.com.
0: Excellent. Well, we'll link to the website in the show notes. If you're listening, you can just scroll right through and click right through to, to uh, Brett's website and connect with him there. Uh, Brett, really appreciate you sharing the story. I I, I love seeing an entrepreneur that had a, you know, the good day job and (laughs) <laughs> left it all to go out and build their own company. So uh, I'm cheering for you and wish you success in the year ahead.
1: Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. All right. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to DJ Texas.com.